Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And we're into extra time. Kia ora and welcome to another edition of Extra Time, a weekly podcast produced by the sports team here at Radio New Zealand. I'm Clay Wilson and this week we start by running the rule over the Silver Ferns, ahead of this weekend's closing quad series clash with Australia. We also delve into motorsport, sevens, anti-doping and hear from a grandmother-granddaughter duo with a special Olympic connection. An indication of how far the Silver Ferns have come in two weeks under new coach Nolene Taurua will be provided on Sunday when they complete their quad series campaign with a game against Australia. After bouncing back from a record defeat to England first up with a 24-goal thumping of South Africa, the New Zealand side will be keen to see that improvement continue against their old rivals. I spoke to RNZ netball reporter Ravinda Hunia about Sunday's match and started by asking her how she assessed the Ferns' progress after two of their three quad series games. Well, I think the first game was uh, a great way for Nolene to see where her side stacked up against one of the best teams in the world going around. Um, And I think the changes she made from that loss against England uh, in the South Africa game were, were quite considerable and showed that it it only took her three days to make the adjustments required. And I think the team responded well to that. I think a prime example was um, Maria Folau and doing a lot more work under the hoop as opposed to her usually coming out and um, doing a lot of work outside of the circle and then running back in. One of the comments that Nolene Totoa made after that England loss was that there were too many players not doing their own jobs. So I think they really um, honed in on that for game two and, and that was a pretty good result against South Africa. Was there anything else that stood out, even their mental approach, how they bounced back from that loss against England? Yeah, I think um, they went into that game against South Africa. They looked prepared. They looked like they had a strategy and everyone was doing their part um, toward that strategy. Nobody looked lost at any point, I thought. Um, The connections were much more sound in that second game. Um, For instance, uh, Tepaya Salbi Rickett and Maria Folau weren't getting caught in the same spaces that they were like they were against England. Um, The defensive duo of Katrina Grant and Jane Watson, that's coming along um, really well. Jane Watson's getting a lot of ball at the back, but that's with a lot of thanks to Katrina Grant and um, the wing defence, whether that's Michaela Sokolich-Beetson or Laura Langman out the front and Jane Watson coming through from behind. So the connections were, were quite sound. So given all that, what are you expecting against Australia on Sunday and what would be a good result for the Ferns in this game? Yeah, I think, look, it's going to be a tough game against Australia and to expect you know them to go to the next level after a, a great win after South Africa might be a bit... Uh, much to ask for at this stage but what you would want to see is them to further solidify those combinations it might be um, that Nolene 
uh, it'll be interesting to see if she keeps that same starting seven because it was different to the one she had for England. Um, so it'll be uh, interesting to see how she looks to combat a side who she knows really well. The attacking side of Australia is actually the um, same attacking that she's had in the Sunshine Coast Lightning for the last two years. So she knows those players pretty well and their styles. So it'll be interesting to see how she would combat that. But you'd, you'd just want to see more improvement, more strong combinations and a lot more ball in hand and a, a lot less loose carry. So what does the result of this game, if anything mean for next month which is the Constellation Cup and Totoro and the Ferns are going to play four straight games against Australia so does that have a this game have a bearing on that series do you think? Yeah I think it does most definitely I think this game will be a true measure of where they stack up against the world number ones right now and much like England where they can improve after that not saying that um, it's going to be this big blowout and there's no confidence in the Silver Ferns but in a team that haven't been together for very long this would be a great way to gauge where they stack up against a team who are very experienced who have been together for a long time and to see how they can counter that in this initial game and then moving forward to the Constellation Cup know where they can adjust. Okay, and just finally, um, moving aside somewhat, it's been confirmed New Zealand's opening game at next year's World Cup is going to be against Malawi. Um, Obviously, earlier this year at the Commonwealth Games, a big upset, the Ferns losing to Malawi. What do you make of the news that that's who New Zealand are going to face first up? Well, first of all, it's quite exciting. It's quite exciting that they get to um, have that match again. I remember that game when they played it at the Commonwealth Games, hugely disappointing, but a real big win for international netball in the same breath. But I think the Silver Ferns coming into the World Cup are coming in under very different circumstances. I think they're going to be a lot more prepared with combinations more sound under a coach that they have full trust and are buying into as opposed to what was going on with the Commonwealth Games. Uh, Recently, Malawi have are no longer the African champions. Uganda, the she-cranes, are actually the African number ones now. So if if there's a threat coming out of Africa at the moment, it's probably uh, Uganda. And um, Malawi lost um, their key shooter, Mwaikom Wenda, this season to an ACL rupture. So it's unknown if she'll be back in time uh, to get in camp with her side to be able to come back. I mean, it's one thing to say that Mike Wenda makes up a whole team, but her leadership and experience in the side is one thing that that team really do count on. Do you think the element of revenge is going to be something Nolene Todua will buy into or push for her players? Most definitely. I think Nolene has a, will have quite a fair expectation that her side should get the better of um, the team that are ranked number six in the world. And the the Silver Ferns should win that game and I think she will make sure of um, the planning that will go into that first World I mean, for, for Nolene, it'll be important for her to go into that World Cup with a win, I think, under her belt. She'll have the Quad Series behind her. She'll have the Constellation Cup behind her. So the preparations are done. It's just setting that scene for the very first uh, game at the World Cup, which ultimately she has brought in as coach to do. That was RNZ netball reporter Ravinda Hunia talking with me about Sunday's game between the Silver Ferns and Australia. The New Zealand driver Scott Dixon added another chapter to his hugely successful career by claiming a fifth IndyCar championship this week. The 38-year-old showed exactly why he's called the Iceman 
with a cool-headed drive to finish second in the season finale in Sonoma, California, solidifying his standing as one of the greatest drivers in American championship car racing history. Dixon's five titles takes him to second on the all-time list, with only American racing legend AJ Foyt ahead of him on seven. Morning Report's Susie Ferguson spoke to Dixon the morning after his latest triumph and started by asking the Indianapolis-based South Aucklander how his latest success was sinking in. Uh, it's kind of starting to. It's been, uh, you know, it's been pretty busy up until now. Uh, obviously this morning with, with uh, media hits and then, and then we're actually off to, to New York right now for uh, a couple of days to, to hit all the, uh, the stuff there. But uh, yeah, no, it's been fantastic. And for me, you know, personally, this was uh, one of the most stressful ones, I think, and, and just, you know, the sheer fact that we led the championship for, for quite a large portion of the year that, you know, I didn't want to get to the last race and, and screw it all up. So it, uh, it worked out fantastically, and, and to have, um, you know, Poppy and Tilly and Emma, and, you know, it was the first time that, uh, as a family, all of us celebrated, uh, you know, a championship like that. So it was really, really special. Talking about that stress, people call you the Iceman. Um, how do you deal with that? pressure those nerves uh, when you appear so cool on the outside uh, maybe i hide it well um i don't know like it's you know it's something i've been doing since at the age of you know seven uh, racing go-karts you know at, at this level it's you know it's obviously a lot different but um you know i think uh, there, there's always so much pressure in, in in the sheer fact that you know it's a competitive environment you want to win um, you know, right now in, in, in our sport, you know, the, the competition level is just through the roof and, and, and the depth of it, um, you know, is, is extreme too. So it's very easy to, to make a small mistake and, and you know, lose a, a lot of points in a scenario or, or you know, to, to maybe lose a championship. So um, I don't know. For me, it's always, you know, uh, not wanting to disappoint, you know, whether it's the team or, or you know, my family. Uh, all the people that have helped me get to, to this point, you know, I feel like I've been extremely lucky and, and uh, you know, love being able to do what I do and, and hope it continues. But it's, uh, yeah, you know, I think we, we handled it well yesterday. Um, it's not always the case, but we, we try to do the best mm. in that area. How long are you going to carry on doing this? Uh, I don't know. It's a good question. Uh, we, we, you know, earlier this year, we uh, negotiated a new contract. So, you know, at least for, for a couple of years, um, you know, we'll, we'll continue an IndyCar. Um, I don't know. You know, it's, okay. it's always one of those personal kind of things where, you know, some guys, TK's now 44 this year and you know, I just turned 38 this year. So maybe another six. We'll see. Okay. So, because the most one of the IndyCar championships is seven. Are you wanting to equal that record or indeed beat it? Uh, absolutely. You know, that's, that's, uh, we're in the business of winning and, and, you know, if you're not doing it, you're, you're going to be moved on pretty quickly. But, uh, yeah, AJ Foyt, uh, you know, leads with seven. Uh, we kind of got into the middle, middle land there with, uh, you know, the second on, on the list there behind AJ with, with five. Uh, but, yeah, uh, you know, one step at a time and, and we'll definitely, you know, try and go for number six next year. Okay. What about Formula One? Is that still something that, you harbour an ambition for? Uh, no, that's long gone for me. Um, you know, Would you have uh, liked to, though? It kind of sounds like there's a tone of regret there. Um, not, not necessarily. You know, I think for me, when I did, you know, I, I did test with Williams in, in uh, 2004, and, and, you know, things were looking promising there, but, we'd, you know, I just won my first IndyCar championship. Um, I, I don't know. You know, I, I love the sport that I'm in. 
it's very competitive. You know, unless you're in, in Formula One, unless you're in one, you know, one or two teams, you know, you've really got no chance at winning or, or even trying to chase a championship. So, you know, uh, I love the sport that I'm in. Um, you know, I did have an opportunity to, to go there and, and did test there, and the cars were amazing. And, and yes, it is the pinnacle of motor racing. And you know, uh, it's it's fantastic to see Brendan, you know, flying the flag for, for New Zealand, uh, you know, over there. But um, no, I don't. I, there's no regret. No regret there. The idea, I suppose, of, of what to do next or what to do more, I suppose, are there trophies in your... Are there trophies you'd like to have in your cabinet that you don't have? Um, you know, I think for, for us each year, we set two goals, and that's, you know, first to, to win the Indianapolis 500 and, and secondly to win the championship. And, you know, we, we only got one of those this year. But, yeah, the 500, you know, I'd, I'd love to be able to, to win multiples of those. You know, you become into a, a very small... Uh, you know, group of people that have that have ever achieved that. You know, I think even winning, you know, the 500. I think you're on a short list of less than 70 people in the world um, that have achieved it. But yeah, to me, you know, that that's one I really want again uh, is another 500. Leading New Zealand driver Scott Dixon there speaking to Susie Ferguson on Morning Report. New Zealand rugby's search for the next superstar of the sevens game took its next step forward this week. Having put the call out within rugby and well beyond in July, the national body confirmed more than 500 young athletes had applied to be part of Ignite 7. The initiative is designed to find rising stars, regardless of rugby experience, who might one day light up a sport thriving in the wake of its first Olympic appearance. From the applicants, 48 girls and 48 boys have been selected for the event over four days in November, with the six best claiming a spot in the New Zealand development squads early next year. I went out to the announcement in Auckland to find out more about a campaign hoping to help our world champion National Sevens teams to even more glory. Despite coming from a family mad about it, rugby was not one of the many sports Grace Steinmetz played growing up on the Kapiti Coast. But in the space of 10 months, the 20-year-old whose uncle Paul played one test for the All Blacks has gone from rugby novice to potentially being the next big thing in New Zealand sevens. The National Touch representative and New Zealand University's hockey player says she had no hesitation applying for Ignite 7 when it was launched in July. I just saw it straight away and I was like, this is an awesome opportunity. You know, you've got four days to put your best foot forward and at the end of it you could be one of the lucky three to come out with in the development team, which means that, you know, one day you could pick up a contract and be wearing the fern. Steinmetz is one of 48 young women, along with 48 young men, hand-picked to be put through their paces in Auckland over four days in November. The 96 athletes were successful among a pool of applicants of more than 500, 119 of which came from non-rugby backgrounds. New Zealand rugby high-performance sevens manager Tony Phillips says, in a country renowned as a world leader in rugby, Ignite Seven was about following the lead of others. The overseas countries who don't have that structured pathway, they've picked up a lot of players from other sports, so we want to make sure that we've covered that net as well to give people those little entry points to come and play our sport. The ability of non-rugby players to shine in sevens has been proven by the likes of women's stars Portia Woodman and Michaela Blyde, who were discovered by a similar campaign prior to the sport's Olympic debut at Rio in 2016. Philp says the possibilities, with applicants from snow sports to martial arts and everything in between, were exactly the same this time around. 
we could see an athlete from here go to the Olympics in 2020 and also build to depth and development to, for 2024. So if they're willing to work out and they're coachable and they've got some X factor, who knows? Our coaches will select them. Another one of those hoping to be selected as one of the six to join the national development squads is Auckland's Mark Graham. The 20-year-old represented New Zealand in age group rugby league and spent several years in the Warriors development programme, but jumped at the chance presented by league's rival code. It's not really often you see um, new sports introduced into the Olympics and with sevens being there and New Zealand's dominance in that sphere for so long, it's definitely really exciting for young athletes coming up in New Zealand, yeah. To ultimately be successful in November though, Graham knows he'll need more than enthusiasm. Phillips says the decision makers have a clear idea of the attributes they're looking for. You have to have a big engine to be able to work really hard and um, have a drive to work really hard. And then um, you know, we've got to teach them the game, so they've got to be, they've got to be coachable. You know? So they're the things that we really look for. And they've got to have something that's a bit different. They've got to have X Factor. Grace Steinmetz is looking forward to the chance to prove she has all those qualities. A chance, growing up in a rugby-mad family on the Kapiti Coast, she never dreamed she'd ever have. Seeing that it's not just guys that can do it, seeing that girls, it's now professional, it's just amazing um, being able to actually, growing up, you know, girls playing rugby, I didn't do it myself, but from a young buck you wouldn't have thought that that could be your job one day, but now that it can, I think it's definitely a driver for lots of people. Music to the ears of New Zealand rugby in their quest to ensure they stay at the top in both forms of the game. Blood might be thicker than water, but it's swimming that binds a former New Zealand Olympic backstroker and her granddaughter. Nairi Galloway, who's 92 and lives in a Nelson rest home, is New Zealand's oldest living Olympian. 70 years after she swam backstroke at the London Olympics, her granddaughter Gina Galloway is about to compete in the same event at the Youth Olympics in Buenos Aires. The pair caught up in Nelson ahead of Gina's departure for Argentina, and Tracy Neal was there to catch the moment. New Zealand, one of the smaller teams who received specially warm applause. It might have been seven decades ago, but Nairi Galloway's memories come flooding back when she watches her granddaughter Gina backstroking her way through a pool. A sort of um, a longing, really, in, inside me. I, I look at Gina swimming and, and think, golly, the strokes changed a bit. I don't think I had killer instinct, really. Nairi might feel she lacked the killer instinct, but she's an inspiration to Gina. For me, it's just that passion for swimming, the love of it, I think. Get diving into that water, you know, the thrill of it, the thrill of racing and competing. I'm definitely a competitive person. I love the challenge of trying to better myself, and I think seeing Nana, you know, going to the Olympics has definitely inspired me. Nairi was the only female athlete in the seven-strong New Zealand team at the 1948 Olympics. It was soon after the end of World War II and London still wore fresh scars. Training didn't stop on the six-week journey by sea from New Zealand. The ship's carpenter built Nairi an oblong box, lined it with canvas and filled it with seawater each day so she could lie on her back and practice her kick. Well, I suppose it minimally, very minimally, it did help. But uh, you can imagine, or you can imagine, just lying in the, in the tub thing, kicking it. It's very difficult. She had to wear a borrowed swimsuit at the Empire Pool in Wembley. It had belonged to a boy, and it was a bit short, short around the bust area. 
Well, silk suits were unavailable because of the war, really. So that was all I had. Nairi finished second in her Olympic 100-metre backstroke heat, seventh in her semi-final and 11th overall. But she didn't come home empty-handed. In the Continental Relay Gala held straight after the Olympic swim meet, her Australasian team won bronze in the 4x100-metre freestyle relay. So is Gina's love of backstroke in her genes? I don't know. I think I naturally just really enjoyed backstroke. It was the stroke I was doing the best in. And coincidentally enough, my, my brother is also getting quite good at backstroke. Gina won bronze at last year's Commonwealth Youth Games and will compete in backstroke and butterfly events at next month's Youth Olympics. The 17-year-old student at Auckland's Diocesan School for Girls says her success is the result of a punishing training routine and the support of her teammates. Nana Nairi keeps up with her progress via her iPad. Thanks to technology we have today, she's able to live stream into the races I'm doing and Dad always sends her the link so she can watch and it's always cool knowing that she's watching from Nelson. Nairi says the only piece of advice she'd offer her budding Olympian granddaughter is to keep cool and calm. I don't have to ever tell you to keep focused, she's got that in spades. But um, to think of the moment, to think of the very moment that what you're doing is what you've got to do best. And Gina is as proud to carry on the family tradition as she might one day be to stand on the Olympic dais. I think it's a really proud moment to continue the Galloway old lane, <laughs> but Galloway name um, in swimming is always going to be really proud and special in the family year. The Youth Olympic Games run from October the 6th to the 18th. In Nelson for Checkpoint, Tracy Neal. Athletes and anti-doping agencies around the world are slamming the World Anti-Doping Agency's decision to reinstate the organisation charged with monitoring drugs and sport in Russia. Suspended in 2015 after an independent report outlined evidence of massive state-backed systematic doping, RUSADA has had its membership to WADA restored, subject to various conditions. The reinstatement comes after WADA compromised on their roadmap for return for RUSADA, which stated the agency had to recognise the findings of the independent report and allow access to their Moscow laboratory. The former head of WADA is New Zealander David Howman, who told Susie Ferguson on Morning Report he was one of the many dismayed at the decision. Well, it's pretty disappointing, really. Uh, WADA says it stands up for the clean athlete, and in this instance, the clean athlete's been totally ignored. So what they have done is compromise the position that they held originally, which was a principal one. They had a what they call a roadmap that they were following. In the last two aspects, they've... Um, as I say, compromised, they've almost sort of said, we don't care about them. So that means that Russia has not accepted that they have been involved in a state-sponsored doping program involving you know thousands of athletes, and that the data inside the laboratory is, is going to be released, but conditionally. So it's a bit of a, a weak compromise in my view. Why do you think WADA's done what it's done then? A lot of pressure was put on WADA by the International Olympic Committee, uh, they only had a ban on Russia for 86 days. They felt that Russia had done enough. They wanted to put the past behind them. And I think it comes down to um, power and money. 
it sounds like you don't think they have done enough. No, they haven't. Look, one of the major conditions is there's a lot of samples still in the laboratory. Um, I would suspect they're not, they're probably degraded or being tipped out or something, but we haven't seen them. Nobody's seen them. And those samples could indicate a number of cheating athletes. Uh, in addition, there's a lot of data on their computers inside the laboratory, which would likewise show a number of athletes, probably up into the hundreds, uh, have cheated and haven't been sanctioned. Now, what they're doing is saying, rather than see it, we'll set a condition where Russia will make it available to us, and if they don't, we might declare them non-compliant again. Well, I think, you know, some people have got their heads in the clouds. If they think that the Russians haven't done something to all this information to make sure it's not present when somebody arrives, then somebody's living in dream world. So you think it's been destroyed or got rid of or hidden or whatever? Well, that's that's what you would expect, wouldn't you? I mean, it's, it's been there for two and a half years, and I don't think they would be sitting and saying, oh, look, this is really something that uh, is going to be explosive. We better, we better leave it until they arrive and get it. They're more likely to be saying, let's get rid of it straight away. So I guess in that case, it would never have been found, even if WADA had been able to, to sort of go in straight away and try and get hold of it. But what does this then mean for athletes from other countries? Does it now mean that they're going to be competing against athletes that at the very least there's a pretty big question mark over? Yes, exactly. And that's the worry that I have. And we've seen a number of very prominent athletes who are very supportive of, of anti-doping and very supportive of people who stand up for their principles saying, this is not right. I, I can't look across the start line and see people that I trust. I'll, I'll see people that I suspect. And, and that's not really uh, what they want. They want to have a level playing field and they want to make sure um, that they're not cheating and, and therefore their opposition is not cheating. And that's that's really the, the, the bottom line. Morning Report presenter Susie Ferguson there getting the thoughts of former WADA boss David Howman on the reinstatement of the Russian Anti-Doping Agency. And that's everything we have for Extra Time this week. But remember, you can stay up to date with all the latest in sport by checking us out on the web, radionz.co.nz forward slash sport, or on Twitter by following our handle at rnzsport. Your feedback is also welcome through our email, sport at radionz.co.nz. I'm Clay Wilson. Thanks for listening and have a great weekend. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.